piano I have here. I wonder if your mic sounds kind of weird. Does it? Why? It sounds like there's two of you. Like really close together? Or like, is it a really bad... I mean, you sound fine. Wait. wait. Oh, wait. 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 Do that again? Wait, wait. One second. I'm seeing... Because my recording sounds fine. Uh huh. Oh, I forgot you're recording. No, I'm not recording. I mean, I, right. No. I, I just did a test record. Oh, is that okay with you? If I record my own local audio? I hope you do. I just did a test. Yeah, I, I, I've been testing. I'm sorry if it sounds weird. No, I mean, it sounds, uh, I mean, it, it's very, <laughs> it's very YMO. It sounds like there's like two of you. I love that. It's exactly at the same time, but they're just like, Later. Oh, it's a, it's like a new wave, like where they take two of the same track and just like, just like move them apart a little bit. Yeah, it's exactly that. Well, I mean, except that you sound like you're still speaking at the same time. My apartment is so echoey. I can't. There really is no echo. I mean, you own. can't tell. I have my. No, I, I know. You're good. You're good. I Your have, audio sounds. I have my voice in my ear because I haven't turned that. Okay, I'm gonna turn it off. Um. I can always tell, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so should I... Do we just want to hit record and go into it, or do you have, like, format things um, you want to... I need to get water really quick, or I'm going to, like, die, because I already had two drinks when I was recording with Yana earlier. Oh, perfect. Okay, I'll be right back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's Zach Langley-Chi-Chi. I'm so popular, and today we are doing one of the most important episodes on my show to date. We are discussing Yellow Magic Orchestra in a special two-part episode. Uh, today we are discussing their Auvergne from 1978 to 1981, and I have a really special guest to go on this probably four-hour journey that I'm recording at 1 a.m. Who are you? <laughs> uh, I'm Grant. Hi, Grant. At, at based sodomite. What are you doing? I so can I tell you how I prepared for this? Yeah, sure. So we were originally what we were going to record one Saturday night for me, Sunday for you, uh-huh. and then you wanted more time, justifiably because it's so much content to cover, etc. All of your I don't know what um what kind of stuff you were preparing for it. Um, then we said the next weekend, but I didn't realize that you meant a day before 
the previous weekend. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't realize it was going to be Friday night. And then we were recording my podcast. Not we, you and I, but I was re- on recording mine and you sent me, what did you say? Like sending a zoom link shortly. And I almost like shat myself. I was like, Oh my God, I can't believe I got the time. Wrong. No, I mean, it really worked out because <laughs> I was like sitting on my couch, like a little hungover and was like, not, in the mood honestly i was like yeah not feeling it so it worked out as a blessing because we have so much fucking work to do so i'm really glad that it worked out and i really like the extremely dramatic time difference where it's 8 a.m in alaska and i've uh, never i've never had a conversation this early before in my life maybe so i I woke (laughs) up at 6 a.m i woke up at 6 a.m give myself a couple hours it was like 5 45 6 a.m mm-hmm. i got up i immediately started putting the records on um and then i drank a bunch of water guzzled coffee um sucked an american spirit down fast enough that it would make me dizzy and then i walked for 45 minutes in like 20 degree weather in the dark yeah listening to the music just to put myself in the right headspace for it right no, I just did the same I thing. I, like, we're... charged off to the convenience store, like, bought, like, seven <laughs> seven drinks, like, listened to Solid State Survivor at full volume and, like, illegally, sm- well, not truly illegally, but in a taboo fashion, smoked my little Marlboro Red on my charge-over, very riding. Um, I do have to ask, Grant, <laughs> why yeah. do you follow me? Why do I follow you? Mm-hmm. On Twitter or your career as a... I like the second one more, but it's up to your interpretation. Um, so this is actually something that's made me more nervous to record this than anything is I, I like very sincerely think that your artistic intuitions are like that of a genius savant. Like I like listening to you talk about anything is like, I guess to be kind of corny, like the mask comes off, <laughs> whatever you're, whatever you're talking about. And I am not the same in that way, and that like I'm a super technical, analytical, like metaphysics guy. Mm-hmm. So whenever I discuss art, it tends to be very dry. Sure. And so I, I, I just I really respect everything you have to say about any piece of art I've seen. Like it's like. Ugh. I'm <laughs> like, so flattered. Thank know. you. No, I'm very I, I, I really don't mean that to be like. I'm not trying to like brown nose or anything. Like I literally have told people that. Oh God, no! That's the most beautiful answer I've ever heard. Um, <laughs> well, I guess my—I don't yeah. know how we became connected on Twitter. I imagine it's like through the perfume nationalist sphere or, or what Probably, have you. Like everybody, yeah, you know, yeah. yeah, something like that. But I had the privilege of going on to Contra Gentilis, which you uh, co-host on, and it was just you and me. Yes. We hadn't—we we'd like yes. messaged a little bit before. And then we just had like a two and a half hour chat that ran the gamut of Inca music, Marxism, Foucault. And I was hungover and I ate too much candy during the podcast. Oh, I, that was, I had, um, I had that giant plate of anpan. Mm -hmm, That's right. And I remember leaving the conversation being like vaguely irritated. I was like, (laughs) I'm right about Marxism, and this faggot is wrong. <laughs> <Was> like, <laughs> <laughs> well, I also did a really, really bad job of. I was like, so I bought two bottles of wine because it was. Well, I bought two bottles of wine because it was supposed to be Jeremy and I on Zoom, and then he he says he didn't ditch me, but he ditched me for like a family dinner thing that they planned after the time we'd scheduled. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had an entire bottle of wine to myself, with like just 
fistfuls of red bean paste. Oh, delightful. (laughs) I was, I was, I did a horrible job of explaining my views on Marxism, which I think was appropriate for the conversation. Oh, it totally was. was. And uh, retrospectively, it's the perfect conversation for the initiation into our cute little friendship that we have, because I have, um, from that really, uh, sort of endearingly awkward conversation that we have, (laughs) I, I really appreciate what you do. And I think your show is such a delight. Your most recent episode that came out, I think, on, on my Saturday or Sunday morning or something. I listened to it on the way back from Kamakura when I was uh, really hungover and the sun was really bright and I had an hour on the express train. And hearing you scream your heart out and <laughs> toil to express your feelings about art was truly transcendent and a, a really high peak for your podcast, I think. So I think it, it's really beautiful narrative flow that you had that explosive conversation about artistry about music yeah and music, music specifically i know and that was just I, I actually thought about that what was that the that was the amelia Earhart famous for failing mm-hmm. episode <laughs> which i guess really didn't have much to do with the episode i just thought it was a funny title um i was thinking about it like walking away it's like jeremy's the only person i can yell like that at and he just thinks it's funny and we're friends like it's not oh yeah deal. i mean that's like my friend um, david when i yell at him on gangbang it's like you know it's it's absolutely the same thing you have that friend who you can attack but it was so cathartic (laughs) and um between your show and my own and perfume nationalist i'm really enjoying kind of the rush limbaugh era that these podcasts are going into right now because everyone is kind of like beginning to scream on their show (laughs) 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 like we just had like jack do like three episodes in a row where it was like the like um, yelling it was like the fountainhead episode like followed by the legally blonde episode where it was like full volume emotional like beautiful screaming and i did the same thing on my godzilla episode and i i think that now (laughs) is the right to apply that screaming to ymo (laughs) yes i think they'd appreciate that i think so too so They're, they're probably asleep i don't know but. They're all quite old. I would pray they're asleep at this hour. <laughs> but, okay, this is a really major conversation, and I have to frame this correctly before we really get into it, because YMO has been one of the specters that haunts my show, but hasn't like come up as a topic yet, which is what Evangelion mm-hmm. was, until I talked about it with Dasha. But I talked about YMO on several episodes, including my J-pop episode with Ronald, and I talked about it with Jesse Lanza, who is a musician I really deeply respect and so now I'm harnessing all of that energy to discuss what is basically the confluence of every single one of my artistic interests between homoeroticism, political radicalism, pop music, makeup on men, orientalism, uh, Japan as an aesthetic, masculinity, femininity, sex and death. It's all (laughs) it's it's all here (laughs) amazing it is i i i at the end of every album i have not had words for a while Mm -hmm. to even discuss it and then i have to listen to it like five more times and then i finally understand what's going on i or i feel like i do because then i'll listen to it again and then there's like a new thing i discover about it and like whether it's sound or tone or something, or like I hear a lyric I didn't notice before and then mm-hmm. like prostrates me on the ground. Oh, no, truly. Like, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, th- this is the other thing um, is that not only is it all the things I mentioned, but in the practice of it, this is also one of yeah. the pieces of art that I aim to 
center my show around, which is are the pieces of art and culture that so dramatically move my heart and spirit that I'm irreparably different after it's over. And YMO is absolutely one of the the few relics of perfect art that I hold dearly in my heart and has uh, informed the entire narrative that I have around my daily like walk to work or like how I mm-hmm. read my diary. I, I literally hear Solid State Survivor. So uh, this is absolutely a pivotal and crucial piece to understanding I'm so popular and me. And I cannot understate that enough, which is why we're doing this enormous, like probably to be four hour episode. I've already made like probably like 20 minutes of interludes, like for the whole thing. As an hour is preparing for this, I've re-listened to everything. We're going to go all the way into this. And, yeah. you know, people have a thing where if they don't know what art it is I'm talking about, maybe they'll skip the episode or, like, bookmark it for later. And this is not what you're supposed to do. You are supposed to listen <laughs> to the episode and then look at it after. Because you can understand it better if you hear me tell you how to understand it first. <laughs> yes. We did the work. You didn't. We did the work. And just it's it's like reading bible commentary or something Mm -hmm. it's the same kind of like don't 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 look yet just listen exactly so it's like i want people to listen to this and then they can go and begin to dig into ymo on their own because no matter what we say there's no human way to describe like we're not even touching the, the entirety of their career and all three of these men's you know musical input but the you know the fucking six years that we're doing like the six seven years that we're talking about is so enormous and moving that you can find something else for yourself in it after you listen so yes today we were talking about yellow magic orchestra grant how did you (laughs) first hear about them okay so and i know i've discussed this is another thing i've talked to you about before i'm a huge fan of like kaiokyoku Mm -hmm. and stuff like that so like the I don't know. I think you could probably say it was just at, in, right after the war. Like it's the kind of a very Western inspired genre of Japanese popular music came about that really kind of fused American pop sensibilities and like big band sensibilities with Enka and like mm-hmm. other traditional Japanese like ballad music. Um, so like Misora Hibari is still one of my favorite singers of all time. Um, I weep every time. Um, and I wrote for the Japanese program at the university. I had to write like a several page thesis thing on some kind of thing I was interested in. You know, it's kind of like one of those patronizing assignments they give you in language courses where you just have to like write, you just have to prove you can write the language yeah. well. Um, and I wrote this like 25 page thing on Kaiokyoku and like the history of it. Um, and of course, as you're, because Kayo, I think. You can say the era of Kaiokyoku ended with the death of Misora Hibari, and like it was 1989, so um, Showa ended that same year. So it's like it was the and what the economy crashed the next year. Yeah. So it was like the death of an era of music. The um, the emperor dies, the economy crashes, and like it's kind of a beautiful confluence of tragedy. Mm-hmm. And as you, but like in researching that and researching Japanese music enough, you you come across Yellow Magic Orchestra. Like if you're talking about anything from the '80s, like it's referenced mm-hmm. in text. And I 
I had heard like firecracker and stuff, but I hadn't like really done any kind of deep diving into it until you asked me. Cause I thought I, di I didn't really, I knew that they were one of the, it was, they were like the most popular band in Japan in the early eighties. Um, I knew that they, I knew their, I don't, uh, their inspiration from like, they drew, they drew inspiration from like Martin Denny orientalist music and stuff. Um, but I didn't know how listening to it would like rend me completely empty. Like it did. <laughs> I didn't, cause that's my favorite thing in the world. Like that's the reason I'm like a huge fan of um, like Alice in Chains, Soundgarden, like grunge music is it kind of does the same thing if you listen to it. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I didn't really, I didn't really have any, anything to say when you asked me. Well, I think so that's I, beautiful. I, I really, I'm really glad. I really had like vaguely heard of them. No, I think so I think that, that's to lovely. To answer your question, because like, now you're now you're fully enmeshed. Like now you're <laughs> like stuck in it because YMO is one of the most important bands, not only like in like the history of like Japanese pop music, but like general electronic music, um, hip hop music. That's right, dance music, and uh, you know as we go, house music. Right, like as we go through the albums, like everyone will kind of like see like where these things like start to happen, but they innovated a lot of technologies like the way they made music has made a major imprint on how music sounds and so they're like very like academically known especially like in totally mm -hmm, yeah. like in ways that people mm -hmm. talk about what technology is being used and yet like the heart of this music remains relatively unknown and I am always, like, really, like, chipper to see, like, people, like, being like, oh, I love YMO on Twitter, because I have been pretty much, like, solitary in my adoration for them, um, up until I met my friend Ivy, who uh, I also watched Twin Peaks with uh, this past year, mm -hmm. and this band is so special to me, because of all the reasons I listed or earlier, and I, I think I first encountered them maybe in college, and I don't remember how, but my first album was Naughty Boys, and since then, I've had yeah. such a deep adoration for them that I basically compare everything to them at this point. Like, all contemporary music is, like, a derivative of them to me. So... Well, I, th I think it literally is. I think that... Because what? The, their first album, I think, like, sold... 500,000 copies in 1978 in the US and that was almost unheard of for any kind of like Asian like music right in the US they were on Soul and Train listen, literally did you watch that video oh, did yeah. you watch those I did that was spectacular I cannot I cannot believe like um I don't want to get too much into it because it contains music from two albums. So I'm trying to, I don't want to like, right. No, I know I, I'm like biting my tongue like, about this, like just but, trying to introduce them, but it's so hard because I immediately want okay. like to start spilling over with emotion about it. I cannot believe my jaw drops every time I watch them play firecracker on soul train because it's, totally unmoving Japanese people in like fascist uniforms that they designed for themselves standing there playing since why like all these like black people like dance around it was very it's incredible it's it's a song made to parody the american concept of the east and they played it on soul train <laughs> it's just it's, it's like, exactly it it's blows exactly me away 
Yeah, and there's like this lovely Guardian interview from 2008 with uh, Sakamoto Ryuichi, and he mm-hmm. was like, we are playing this music, and there are no white people and no Asian people. It's only black people. And we- <laughs> yeah, I, <know. laughs> I read that. That's and so good. The Guardian had to issue a correction, and they're like, we didn't, we may have mistranslated this to make it sound racist, but it's like not like racist. It's that like they made dance music that would have such an irrevocable, like, foothold on hip-hop that it continues to be sampled now that like it was absolutely in every literal sense of the word stupendous for them to be doing what they were doing and like literally 1970 fucking nine yeah i can't i i i so do you want to go into the first album yeah so before we get there i should introduce vaguely what they are (laughs) i I think maybe people have an idea but they are a uh yellow magic orchestra ymo is a group of three men um mostly led by hosono harry as he is uh frequently <laughs> known <laughs> and he was the one who initially started the group and alongside him is sakamoto ryuichi who people know most well as a composer and an electronic music musician in his own right and takahashi yukihiro who had his own long run of synth pop records in japan um in effect, it's a boy band, but they produce uh, electronic music. We'll just say that for now. It's a yeah, lot it's of a, things. It's a band. It's a band of boys. That's right. It's a band of boys, and they. <laughs> I guess that's really all I need to say to introduce them. So, should we talk about the first album? Yes. Magic Orchestra is the self-titled debut album from Yellow Magic Orchestra, initially released in Japan in 1978 and re-released in America in 1979 with a few uh, vocal flourishes and changes to the mix. And this was not my first exposure to them, but it remains one of the footholds I have in their music. But what did you think about mm-hmm. this album? Um, Like you said earlier, I cannot believe that it came out in 1978 like i not the sounds of the album the way it's mixed that the instruments they were using namely all almost all synths. there's some piano parts and um takahashi plays um some drum lines and stuff but the fact that programmed electronic music like that came out in 1978 is pretty crazy Absolutely. No, it's, um, it's, it's crazy. And every time I, I go through any of their music, I hear sounds that weren't there the first time I heard it. 
Yes, and it's interesting how they purpose sounds for things too. Like um, one of the standout, um, I don't I don't know if I can say it's my favorite track on the album. Um, she Moon mm-hmm. is one of my favorite. I th- it's one of my favorite YMO tracks in general. Wow. Um, just this it's this beautiful old school almost like movie score ballad kind of thing. It sounds like something like sounds like something from Lady and the Tramp or something. <laughs> it's it's like just this beautiful kind of jazzy theme that kind of reinvents itself over and over. But I remember the first time I heard it, I could like the, I don't know if it's the bass drum sound they used. It's, it's obviously it's synthesized, but it sounds like someone whacking a metal trash can with their hand. Like it just, I don't know if you know, I know exactly what you're talking about. Boom, boom. It's just this, like, it's like they're hitting a dumpster with a, bat or something it's just this resonating metallic empty hollow can sound no yes that i just totally entranced me no i i know exactly that sound that you're talking about which is insane because this album is just littered with like these like really idiosyncratic sounds that like you can describe that way and everyone knows exactly what you're talking about but the general sort of noise of the album if you will is that th- mm-hmm. this record was created initially as a one-off uh, record by Hosono and uh, he enlisted Sakamoto and Takahashi who were um kind of what's the phrase they were like session musicians that's it they were like session session musicians for him well they were all like they were all like um music students or something and they ran in the same circles and they'd all they'd all been working on their own solo material that all came out around the same time. Right. So, uh, at, at, during this moment, um, Sakamoto had just graduated from a music program, and he um, was, like, studying music academically. And Takahashi was, like, more of, like, a sort of, like, pop musician, and then Hosono um, was, like, doing kind of, like, jazzy-inspired stuff. They'd previously worked together before, and then they got together for uh, this record, which was kind of supposed to be, for their label, like, a one-off parody of the western notions of japan and the record is quite short it's about a half hour long and only nine or ten tracks like depending on which version you're listening to and the sound of the album is literally the racist asian music that everyone can hear in their head when i say it it's a da 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 like it sounds like it's like chopsticks on a harp or something yes yeah it's that it's but it's registered with such a deep, like, integrity and commitment mm-hmm. that it jumps over the stereotype or whatever, and then becomes this sort of, like, transcendent album. And one of my favorite qualities of this, which YMO introduces in the very first track, which is um, uh, Computer Game. And this song is just nothing but bleeps and computer noises. And one of my all-time favorite things about YMO is their obsession with being annoying. And one of the the, the true trademarks of their music is, like, irritation. (laughs) Like, it's... There are so many annoying hooks and so many obnoxious, like, punchy little, like, refrains that, like... Anyone else kind of handling this, you would write them off as garbage, but they know what they're doing when they're annoying you. It's, um, it's amazing. Like, like on that track, She Moon, and I want to obviously talk about the other tracks, but that's 
one of the standouts is that there's like that but it but but when they go through it the second time they have this other sound going like it's like this weird like they it's like an anti-harmony they put over it after they've established the theme the first time and they just keep adding those and they keep adding noise filters and stuff and the vocals i mean for almost for their entire discography the vocals are almost like totally inscrutable for because oh yeah there's so, so many filters the japanese accent yes, on top like, of the english it's intense yes but it's like it's run, it every song has some weird un, annoying sound that you can pinpoint <laughs> the first time you hear it and i think i don't know if they did that to make make it less accessible on purpose i don't I think, especially their first three albums, obviously that we'll go through, or the the first two albums in the EP, or if you want to call that an album or whatever, um, they almost like ridicule the listener for enjoying it. Yes, absolutely. It's really, it's very cynical. Yes, it is. And this is something that I read like in one of like those cursed pitchfork reviews, because there's like very little like writing about them. We both read the same cursed, like noisy article, like how to get into YMO or whatever. (laughs) <laughs> and so funny. it's so horrible it's like okay let me instruct you about how to listen to this band i'm like literally after like, we just said after you know we're we're that's uh, my job to instruct people. <laughs> i know we're 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 qualified to instruct but but noisy can never no noisy's not allowed but no it's like they literally do like the annoying sounds that it's like you're being jabbed in the side with chopsticks and they Every single thing I've ever read about this group, like, pins, like, their early albums is, like, oh, these are too jubilant. Like, these are too joyful. Like, these are, like, saccharine. And, like... Well, they almost... They do... They do come off as kind of silly the first time you listen to it. They do. Like, they they do... They do... It, it, it is, like, inherently parody music. No, it it's is. Not, yes. It's supposed to be kind of... I don't want to say dumb, but it, it's supposed to be like totally flippant. Right. It's not. No, I mean that's they, the whole intention of the of the initial project was like to create like the sound of what the West thinks of the East, and then just put that on display. And of course, like the display is like this like morbid elevator music from like the most intense mall you've ever been in. Like I imagine yes. like the entire mall just like smells like Prada candy. And, like, everything is, yes. like, yes. lit, like, bright pink and gold. And you have a headache and, like, you just, like, you smoke too many cigarettes. It's, like, you're walking around getting bludgeoned by this record and just, like, how, like, that, that's, positive it that's sounds. That's how, like, like, cosmic surfing sounds exactly like, it sounds like that's the elevator music song to a T. They, I'm sure they literally play it in elevators. Okay, this is actually a quality about YMO that I've also never heard reference before, but, like, they have repurposed their older music for, like, variety TV in this country. Like, they will play, like, writing and, like, tampu and stuff, like, all over the place, like, in their, like, commercials because, like, they have, like, that jolly, like, you know, capitalist jingle. But if you're just, like, listening, you know, without kind of paying attention, it it does sound like something that, like, might, might pass through your head. But it's actually a knife that is stabbing you while you listen. And it's very upsetting. What's really, for the past two weeks, I've had this weird mounting dread anxiety about everything. 
just like I'll be sitting at work and I'm like, I need to die. I'm ready to die. I'm going to jump out the window. I'm like, I, I can't, I can't do it anymore or whatever. And then I just know, I thought about it and I was like, oh, I have whatever the art commentary equivalent of blue balls is. And I'm just like, it's like, I've been sitting on this music <laughs> and saying nothing about it to anyone for so long that it's poisoning me. <laughs> oh yeah, like, I, I think I could like I um when I went to the Kamakura this past weekend, I saw like a Instagram yeah. video of like me playing uh, Rage Cage, a, a popular college fraternity game, with some of my uh, girlfriends yeah. here, and I like leaned over in a white shirt and like looked a little fat. And at first, I was like, I'm getting morbidly <laughs> obese, like I have to start exercising again. But then I realized I'm just bloated with art commentary because I've been like dying to talk about this. <laughs> I know. Yeah, it was. It's. Their their catalog becomes increasingly dystopian, in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a it's a this dystopian political themes and ideological themes are like obviously a major player in their their philosophy as a band and kind of what they put out. Um, but I don't know if the f- I don't. I don't think the first album, as amazing as it is, I don't. I obviously didn't have like a fully formed concept of what the band would. Oh, be they did. Yet. They didn't know because it they, wasn't what they a could do band with it yet. yet. It was just a one-off. Yeah, they they didn't yes, they didn't know quite what they could do with it yet. At the same time, like they still have such a complex thing going on because you know we've kind of like touched the surface of like the mall music that's out to kill you, but like beneath that is like the yeah. tragic narrative of like. Susie Wong. Yes. Which is, um, because, you know, one of the, you know, things about doing, like, I literally almost said something so racist and it caught myself, like, really quickly. We're gonna clip it. We're gonna clip <laughs> no, I, I, I was very close, but I didn't say it. The thing about the chopstick <laughs> music that they do, you know, when they're, like, yeah. doing, like, the da 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 like, when they're doing that, they also have, like, beneath that, like, this uh, lyrical imagery of, like, Susie Wong, who you can come visit in Japan, and she will make you happy, and you will be relieved, and it's, like... Is that La Femme Chinoise? Yeah. Is that guy? Yeah. And one of the most incredible things about this record that is, like, so transient and, you know, pre-recognizing is that they don't do like japan as a stereotype they do japan as a stereotype as china yes and i think obviously that's intentional of course because especially in the 70s and the 80s um i don't remember when he gave the interview sakamoto gave an interview in gq i think it was when coda came out um beautiful film um he was saying that people like people don't have any idea in the u.s like what the actual differences are between like japan and vietnam or something like they don't actually get that and from what i have gathered from interviews and stuff i really think sakamoto especially has like holds a deep resentment about that mm-hmm. um about feeling unrecognized like it's like you you trivialize a group of people by stereotyping them okay great but like if when you do that but the stereotypes also wrong right like it's especially dehumanizing well yeah i think i think that sakamoto in particular has like a, a deep affinity for mishima like he used like um um one of Mishima's like novel titles like in his score for Merry Christmas Mr. Lawrence and I think that he yeah. has like a, a really like s- 
strong sense of like Japanism, like which is uh, something I, I've mentioned on the show before. But it's like the postmodern like self recognition of Japan that I honestly believe like began with Mishima and like people kind of imagining like the samurai and the cherry blossoms and the sushi mm-hmm, and then mm-hmm. after seeing that like creating like the second image of japan in that vein and he i think is especially strong at that which is why like you know his post ymo music is like some of the most like bracing and experimental is because like he's like so desperate to break from that but the effect on on this record is that this album sounds like all of Asia melted, like as if the entire like side of the earth that houses Asia begins to melt into like one enormous pit. So it's like we have like Viet- Vietnamese, like the stench of like Vietnamese food, like Chinese noises and like the retro futuristic idea of Japan as a technologically advanced country, like all created creating a sound which is the most miraculous thing it's like it's a noise that you hear really like it's like it's like an asian fusion restaurant Mm -hmm. it's like an asian fusion restaurant that's actually good it's like i again it's like i i have such a hard i'm I'm, i i comment on music constantly this is the only group where it's hard for me to articulate how i feel no it's good i you know i i really Um, appreciate being you know struggling and toiling to say the right things about something because like that shows that you're trying and that you earnestly feel something about art. Like to have like a perfectly prepped little answer about like, oh, this means this. That means you don't feel shit from this. But to like have a hard time getting through it and like talking about it is is magical. I think. Yeah. Um. I'm looking at the track list. It's just Let's like talk about every, Tom, every let's single. Talk about That's my favorite song on this album. Tompe. like yeah it's my name is, is Tompe. that one well no <laughs> I, love it. So good. I think my favorite is, um, is uh mado piero but i like this uh is the song i probably listened to the most because when i was planning my move out of mie and writing the shinkansen to tokyo and imagining what i could do with my life i was listening mm-hmm. to Tompu on endless repeat like i would just listen to this song like 45 times in a row the american mix version that has those uh, delicious vocals on top of them of the girl being like let's dance my name is tom <laughs> i know <laughs> i love it the like bimbo voice i think that uh, no it's not this song it's in um it's in Chuga, uh, Chugo that the, the woman is just credited as sexy voice yes it's not there's not even a person credited to doing it i think it was just Yoshida Minako or something. I don't remember her name, but um, it's I I really really like the intro to that song because it drips with like that desperate building Sakamoto signature kind of tension, mm-hmm. and then it just like breaks into like this silly dance track. Yeah, because I, I think that Sakamoto was also like not quite aware of like what he was capable of when like recording this Mm -hmm. album which is why like there's like so many beautiful glimpses of like their potential later on that like don't bloom all the way but are all the more beautiful for it and and like i um this you know this track tompu this what is the english title i don't even know the english titles i don't um, know 
Uh, oh, I, it's just oh, it's it's just yellow magic. They call this one it's, yellow magic. It's, it's, yes. um, and That's the annoying thing is their titles do not match in English and Japanese. We haven't even <laughs> brought this up yet, but like they have the most yeah. obnoxious habit that has lingered in Japanese music, which is to give an English title and a Japanese title to their songs. And Sheena Ringo, Grandma Pringles, is obsessed with this, and I really would like it to stop because it makes it very well. Difficult. What I think it is, what I think, why I, was that? I wonder if that was a common trend before they did it. Because I feel like mm. there there are so many trends established by YMO aesthetically that it's hard to tell what was happening before. I them. can't imagine that it did um, happen before. And you know what? What, I, this, what it yeah. does when you give something an English title, and I, this cannot be an accident, is that you purposefully um, you cause the American listener to misconstrue something about the track. The fact that you're not revealing to them the actual Japanese title and giving them some like more ridiculous right. dumb english name that can't be an accident that has to be no i think it's totally intentional especially as the career develops and they take even more outlandish like names that have absolutely nothing to do with what's written in the japanese title well, they of the get song l- more lyrically they get like lyrically more insane and like um again i don't want to comment on that because i'm just I, i'm really having to be like consciously careful to like no me too because I, I, like, I, I, we're both over full with all of this like we're <laughs> i know i know we're exploding um, but no i mean like um with with tampu specifically this is a really transcendent jesus christ i haven't had that much to drink my lord i'm already slurring transcendent this song yeah, is really transcendent to me because, <laughs> because you know, I, I have tweeted about this in the past, but the most special thing I can get from music is when it shakes my heart and then a moment is forever assigned to me with that song. And yes. I would go walking around in rural Mie looking at the towering like power lines and I would listen to Tom Poo and feel like the entirety of Asian history was like crashing upon me on my back because this song references every like all it's it's the miasma like melted pot Asia thing, but mm-hmm. it uses that to you know even in like its little jubilant like obnoxiously joyful little melody it becomes like something moving don't you think? Yes, um, it what I. I attribute that feeling to the, what I think were intended to be like the corny, like Jetsons choral vocals mm-hmm. that they put the like shimmering chorus of like female voices over like harmonizing with the main synth melody. Um, I obviously that was meant to like, it, it, I mean, to me it makes fun of like GM ads, like general motors ads of like the 1950s and stuff. And like Hanna-Barbera cartoons and um advertisements for um like appliances and stuff it's like a it's like home of the future sound when they're like coming out with all those crazy appliances in the 50s and stuff and like everything like the space age in the u.s um but i this that one's that one's a sakamoto track you wrote the music for that um what i love really a side note is what i love is each of these the 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 three like extremely talented songwriters and musicians that um, c- comprise Yellow Magic Orchestra are all strong enough in their personalities to have become overbearing, mm-hmm. but they're ex- they're very very good at stepping out of the way and letting each other write tracks for albums that then all fit together very well. Um, yes, this is perfectly said. And 
And something about their tension is really spectacular. And any mm-hmm. wonderful musical group has, like, an almost, like, sexual animosity and competitive spirit in their yes. musicianship. And anyone who's, like, into YMO will know that Sakamoto and Hosono, like, feuded the entire career and hated each other until the band broke up. And I think it's all the better for it. And But I think that's why they respect each other. Absolutely. You, you, it's, it's not a, it's not an evil, empty hatred. It's like a, it's like a, what the, the concept of rivalry in Japan is a little bit different than it is here. Mm Mm-hmm. Like it's having a rival's a good thing. Oh yeah, because there's something they they inspire you to greater heights of achievement. Yeah, because it means you're like cute little gay friends, like you know, sparing the hand job. It means like you're like pushing each other onto like better good. Yes, it's very yes. it's very Greek Foucault, honestly. And <laughs> to my, my to finish my thought about Tompu, why I think it's so moving is Sakamoto of the three is the composer. He's like the he's like the music theory nerd. That's right. So his harmonies tend to be extremely complex in their um like the chord voicings and stuff and the way that notes kind of trample over each other. And in those like home of the future appliance car like um forward look um Chrysler forward look um singing chorus sparkling voice symphonies he's doing a lot with the chords like he's not they're not just normal it's not just like no it's not just a normal progression like he's throwing almost dissonant notes into each little little like up and down yes and it makes it all the more satisfying and that's why it pulls off into such an emotional realization Yes, it's a it. That's where the tension comes. That's in music. That's where my my favorite brand of tension comes is like notes where they don't belong. Yeah, and that's that's a Sakamoto thing, and anyone who's a Sakamoto fan will understand that. Yeah, no, and I mean the, the other readily. thing that I think is so powerful is when an artist like sits in a cliche that they know is there, which is obviously the whole yeah. point of this album, and then they use that to deliberately provoke the sublime. And for me, like. The most powerful moment of that on this record is, like, the bridge over troubled music to uh, Mad Perot finale moment that is on the uh, American re-release of this record. And it takes all of, like, the gloopy, like, Asian chopstick geisha computer bullshit and then turns it into, like, this, like, frightening, like, spinning little... Yes, it's amazing. it's, It's so beautiful. And I was having a cigarette in the alley outside of work, which I'm not allowed to smoke in anymore, apparently. And, um... Yes, I'm s- actually listening to it right now so that I can... Yes, they, he hits that synth And that's the thing, the beautiful thing about synth music that I think... I think it's worth commenting on now, and I'll probably comment on it later because it's it'll be... It's a constant, yeah. Now, is... This album and Solid State Survivor and Multiples is like a weird Zoshoku is like a weird album that doesn't I don't like I can't I don't know how to say it yet because I don't want to talk about it but it's just it's a weird one mm-hmm. but there's a those albums were experimenting with the sounds they could make because all of this technology was like essentially brand new like. I think I think Moog 
they I know they were using Moog, they were using Prophet Sense, they were using um, Overheims and stuff. All of this was like extremely expensive cutting edge equipment in the late seventies, early eighties, um, especially in the seventies. And that's I think I don't remember. I think it was Sakamoto was experimenting with these new machines in music school, and like his his album is it B two B two unit yeah. B B two unit is literally just an experiment of like what sounds you can make with this new kind of musical technology, and that moment in from uh, bridge over troubled music into um Med Piero is um it's a little experiment in modulation you couldn't really do that before where you take a sound and you go like uh, uh it's a vocoder uh, thing uh, it's not. Oh, it's a it's a it's a modulator. It's a you what's can, the that's difference? What the, you, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> this is what I'm I'm a, I'm a music equipment nerd. You see, this um, is you know this is why we're here is because I'm I'm a it's yes. a vocoder. This is giving me dark ballet, Madame X. <laughs> you can tell me what it actually yes. means. There's a piano but next like, to you right now. Like <laughs> I know. Wait. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I can play some Oriental stuff. No, I'm not going to. I can do the chopsticks. Um, can I do the... Wait. <laughs> I'm kind of drunk now. Um, <laughs> You're not going to but, work um, today. That's canceled. I'm pre- yeah, probably not. Um, I think my tire's flat in the driveway, too, which is kind of lucky. But um, <clears throat> um, modulation... I don't, I don't, I, I don't know if I'm enough of like a muse, a nerd to like articulate it correctly, but it's like reverb is modulation. Mm-hmm. Um, choral effects are modulation. It's when you, you take a sound and you start applying filters to it. So it's like, wah, 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 like that kind of thing. Uh-huh. That's like, that's a module. That would be like a, like a tremolo modulation or just something like they're experimenting with modulation like ways to modulate sound that had not really been present in popular music before. Right. Um, and there's it, that whole album is dripping with it. Absolutely. And so the fact it. that you like that little moment, that's, that's the beauty of that kind of technique. I don't know. I just, I think that one's, I, I, I remember hearing that too. And I'm like, okay, that was, that was cool. No, for sure. <laughs> well, I mean, the thing is, is that like the, this album is like nineteen seventy eight, but like it sounds like Madonna's debut record. Yeah, I mean, that album could have come out in two thousand five as like a parody thing, and I would believe. Oh, absolutely. I mean, like I, every everybody wants to every do this YM. now. Like, how much like Dua Lipa garbage do we have to sit through? Like, you know, they. I know. I mean, the entire like Giorgio Moroder ex- excluded, and I know I mispronounce his name. Apparently it's like Moreder or something, and I don't care because I'm not Italian and I don't care how you pronounce his name. In any case, <laughs> in, in any you case, speak English. Yeah, I speak English and Nihongo, so I'm not. <laughs> I will pronounce the Japanese and English words correctly, but Moreder is not happening, and everyone can eat it. Anyway, yeah. uh, uh, sorry, I have like a bitter memory of someone tweeting that about the show, but oh no, that excluded. I feel like. Every single pop artist right now wants to like try to do like their like disco like eighties throwback and like it all yeah, sounds it's... like anti YMO because like 
like they were already like anti their own music like when it started and yes yes that's what i wanted they were already and what's incredible about that is like they were anti their own vision from you know record one and yet nonetheless like they still are able to find moments of powerful moving beauty and be able to like shake your soul and like show you that like all of this like cultural gloop and stereotypical broad stroke garbage is like actually worth something and can make you feel yeah i know have you felt anything listen to a dua lipa song ever i hate that kind if i've heard one i don't know if i've heard one you you have had you have have to have had a dua lipa song okay i'm saying i i would maybe would maybe would recognize a melody if i heard it. I, i haven't ever actively listened to it well, one thing about YMO is that once you hear their record, their music, like, rings about in your head. And I literally have, like, some of, like, the chords, like, from Tompu and, like, from, like, the end of the record. Like, that just, like, reverberates through my head constantly, so. Yes. That was that was funny. As I've, so, I'm, I've been listening to the, is it seven? Seven records we will be covering slogging through um on repeat from one end to the other for like a month now and i watched the music feature film that we'll discuss quite a bit later um last night again and i i couldn't go to sleep because i had ymo music stuck in my head and it wouldn't stop yeah i just like like, walk to the train station i i literally hear like the interlude into like i'm like oh here i go onto the train um, <laughs> um, it's almost like a, it becomes like a musical liturgy in a way. It's really, really nice. It's very no, good. it absolutely it's... does. I, you know, when you and Jeremy were talking about like the kind of like Catholic like music and like feeling like moved, like when you like walk into a church and you hear people singing, which is something I've like felt as well. I feel this like when I listen to YMO like on Spotify, like being streamed to me, and I'm just, yes. just walking through this country, like. All of a sudden, everything clicks for me. It's like I can see the whole melt of culture that has brought me here. And all of it has been reduced to a little practical joke and chopsticks by my home country. And then to actually <laughs> like have to you know push through that and like live here, it creates mm. what sounds like YMO. So I think mm-hmm. on that note, we should move on to the next record, shall we? Yes. Okay. Solid state survivor. And before we do that, I have to have a cigarette. We've already recorded for an hour. This is going to be a, like a seven-hour episode, I think. <laughs> I hope. I will see. We got one out. Al- we got one album done. We got one album right. done, and on my timestamp, we have fifty-seven <laughs> right, fucking f- minutes. Fifty-seven minutes. And this is not even an album I feel that strongly about. <laughs> <laughs> no, but we'll see. We'll see. What okay. Happens. Okay. I'm gonna. I'm gonna have a cigarette. I'll be back in just a sec. And I'm gonna eat like three little tacos I bought. Okay. Because otherwise so this I, might get I, really disastrous. Okay. You want me to leave? keep 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 rolling? You, yeah, keep rolling. Um, are you really okay to like take off work today though? Yeah. Well, I think it's gonna happen. I'm gonna just stay up until seven a.m. and I'm gonna have to <laughs> just live that life, I guess. <laughs> okay, okay. Okay, I'll be back in just a sec. Sorry. Fans. 
Okay, one thing I wanted to ask you before we get into Solid State Survivor is, yeah. you know, we, we kind of talked about this Asian melt, and um, uh, w- why does that mean something to you? It means something to me, but I want to know why and if it means something to you. What it... I don't, I don't know if I... So... What does Asia mean in... to you? What does Asia mean to me? <laughs> I have this weird kind of almost resentment of it because, you know, I, I've talked, I've talked to you before. Like I spent a lot of my early adult life in a Japanese program, like being a liaison to like dozens of Japanese exchange students and like doing interviews with, um, universities in Japan. I was like the star Japanese student at the university I got a full ride to um, Gandai in Morioka. Um, and then my grandfather fell ill after a couple of my other family members had already died of cancer. And then I couldn't go. So I think that I've had this weird, instead of like regretting not going, I have this weird, like, dismissive, I don't care attitude, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Not to be like totally dour, but like, I really think that that's, that's kind of how I operate right like, I don't know. It's, it's, I have an incredible, I've read quite a bit about like Chinese communist history and like, I have a lot of intellectual understanding of the East, but I've never been to the East. Mm-hmm. So I've never, I don't have a whole lot of experience aside from all the people from there that I've met and spent time with. Why don't I care about the East? Why am I here? This is one of the animating questions of I'm so popular, I think, is, like, how did this happen? And, I mean, like, the easy answer is that, like, I'm a weeb, I guess, but it's, like, it's, like, deeper than that. Because, I mean, weebs come here, and then they, like, burn out, and they go back home. I'm still here. Yeah, my, um, I have a friend who was living in Tsushima in Aichi pretty close to where you i think where i was between between me i was in aichi previously basically i think that it's between where you were in mie and nagoya or something i don't Mm -hmm. remember it's 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 extremely close to where you were and she i think that people who are really artistically driven need to be in a place that has a cohesive artistic ethos in its kind of built into its culture in the U.S. doesn't have a lot of that, and I think that you would shrivel up and die if everything around you didn't make you want to do that. And like, the U.S. doesn't provide enough for people who are desperate for the sublime all the time. Absolutely, that's so beautiful. Cut. <laughs> no, it re- no, like. I live every day of my life just, like, trying to, like, get the sublime, and that makes me also seek the abject, so I have to do horrible things to my body and to, like, my sex life or whatever to, like, make myself feel anything. Yeah, you have to contrast it. Yeah, right. Yeah. And I don't, I just, this is why Henry Miller spent all of his time in in France. It's because it's, like, 
Yeah. You can't feel the way I do if you're at home in your country. I need to feel like an outsider in some way. And like even then Yes. I don't know, because it's like even as an outsider, I, I feel like I'm like more in with like Japanese culture than a lot of people who live here are because I can actually speak the language to a you know, a moderate degree. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well and under- understanding the language of a place I mean, Henry Miller could really never helps speak you real understand. French. Yeah, but if he had, it would have been better. He would have had a better time. Because speaking the language of a place gives you cultural insight that you wouldn't have if you didn't speak. Yeah. Um, and incorporating an understanding of a different language actually changes your person. That's why, like, me being fluent in Spanish and spending a bunch of time around, like, South Americans and stuff. That's when people people talk about how I don't have a ton of gay flair, but if I do, it's like an Argentinian flavor. It's like that kind of biting South American middle-aged woman sarcasm (laughs) and like hatred for everything that characterizes my, that's, that's what it's imparted to me to speak Spanish and things like that. And like, I under, I understand the Greco Roman world really well. And like, that's why like Greek and Latin metaphysics make so much sense to me is because I speak a language that prepared me to understand it. And, like, speaking Japanese fluently and spending your time in it, it changes your being in a way. And now here we are. So, here we are. <laughs> Wash of Crossdresser, um, starstruck for fame, desperate to prove herself. Uh, all she has to cling to is the cliff of YMO, which I'm, like, dangling on, trying to keep myself up as I have doubts about my weight, like Elizabeth Taylor, doubts about my star power, like any famous person that's ever existed, and we are looking in the face of Solid State Survivor. And before we talk about the music of this, let's talk about the cover. Oh my god, I love it so much. This is one of the most incredible things about YMO is I don't know who was doing their costume design, their album covers, and things like that. It's one of the most aesthetically coherent, like, musical projects I've ever seen. Absolutely. Every record makes sense with its cover. It's insane. It's beautiful. They're all... It's like... So what? I'll describe it. It's it's the three members of YMO in red red jumpsuits with extremely nice shoes on. With two mannequins, one of them has like a little communist hat on, and the other one's like a like a hot woman might be a prostitute kind of dress. I don't know. On like a chartreuse background with like this ridiculous orientalist yellow magic font. And they they may as well be mannequins in it. Like it's so synthetic looking. Yeah. But it's a photograph. Well, I mean, it's, it's it's a photograph. It's shocking because when I first saw this picture, I thought everyone in it was real because, um, you know, as we'll talk about when we get on to Budokan, like, Akiko Yano, who went on to marry <laughs> Sakamoto Ryuichi, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. she used to do, like, vocals for them and, like, perform with them. So it's like, oh, like, it's a woman. But, like, when you see, like, the Spotify cover art, you, like, don't realize they're mannequins. I didn't realize until I bought the record at a disc union in Shibuya. That's crazy. Yeah, it's like, it's almost, it, does it look like, the, it's like they're planning something with a communist or something. It's like. No, it's exactly that. Like, it's exactly that. It's exactly it's that. Like it's, a, like, it's, it, like, it's a cabal it's of the Viet Cong kind of thing. It's, it's the Viet yeah. Cong and the Maoists, like making a little evil scheme. 
It's like, so incredible. The the leering Viet Cong member. I don't know why I'm like so convinced <laughs> it's Viet Cong. But, like I just I am. It's like you know, there's Maoism. Well, the, v- and- the Viet Cong. The Viet Cong has like a like a sneaky impish kind of mischievous kind of vibe that the Maoists don't like. The Maoists are very serious. While the yes. Viet Cong has, is like a little bit more silly to me in my yeah, they have like a scheming like coin under the table kind of vibe to them for sure. Yeah, I mean they're Southeast Asians as opposed to Chinese people, but you know it's like a it's like a bartering <laughs> oh, no. culture and one's these not- racial <laughs> epithets. I, I literally was like, they're kind of like the Jews. <laughs> <laughs> they're the Jews of Asia. Okay, I'm that's, Jewish. That's I can the say that. Okay, I, I'm not, so I can't. Um, I'm culturally Jewish, which means that I realized. <laughs> I realized. Um, Are you ethnically Jewish or just culturally? Wait, no. Jewish? Sorry, I'm ethnically Jewish, but not culturally <laughs> at all. I like my parents didn't even I'm realize that my Jewish. grandmother was Jewish until about like five years ago, maybe. Wow. In any case, I'm Jewish, so I can say that the Viet Cong or the Jews of Asia. <laughs> And any in any case, here's the leering Jew slash Viet Cong member leering over the table in perfect mannequin <laughs> perfection. Um, and the back cover has some delightful images of them like making out with the prostitute and like groping her. Oh, I haven't seen the back. Oh wait, I can show it to you. Let me close my my tacos. What's it? That's it's incredible. Okay, here it is. Oh my god. Okay, I'm sitting down now. Here's the back. Can you see it in this lighting? Oh my god, I love that. I know. Oh, they're holding they're holding the VidCong member up. <laughs> they're so silly. It's so funny. Well, I mean, this is what's magical, is because they, they they do the what they do is like they, they understand like the the evocation of the radical political movements that have defined Asian history, and then they put it into their music and their album artwork in a way that's like such a joke, but also so perfect. Yes, it's it's a. They walk the line of taking their music incredibly serious and also not caring about it at all. Right, and you can never tell. You never tell, like even watching them, or you know what? I'll save that. We're gonna we're gonna save the Budokan thing. So let's talk about this. <laughs> This is my favorite record from them, I think. Maybe. My opinions might have shifted in the last two weeks, but this is certainly the one I've um, spent the most time with. This one, this one is the most camp. As far as I'm not a, I'm not a camp guy. I don't know exactly what that means. But if you were to tell me to like really decide which album was the most camp, because that is something that like, I don't know. I don't know how to talk about it because I'm not, I don't really understand it. (laughs) But are you... Well, I'm trying to not sound like an. You ass, don't understand like, camp because most... you know you're gay in the way that I'm Jewish. Yeah, yeah, it's like a... I'm, I'm only ethnically gay. Yeah, you're ethnically gay, but not culturally. It's <laughs> <laughs> yes, perfect. But no, I mean it's um, like I'm a non non practicing gay. No, I'm kidding. Um, the way this album works for me is that um, it has all of the same like kind of cultural joke of the self-titled record but the melodies and their songwriting is like so improved and shocking in this that every single song will never leave your head and i do anything in my day i like 
post a tweet or like I shit and all of a sudden like here comes like absolute ego dance like blasting through my head narrating oh, my life. Oh, speaking of annoying the annoying sounds. Yes. The, okay. That one's like I literally wanted to bring this up. But the bew 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 that is an absolute ego dance is the most annoying thing in the world and yet somehow that is one of their best songs ever. It's so good. It's I remember yeah. the first time I heard it, I was like, what the hell is this? Like, what's the... It's like pew, pew. It's like little kiss, little robot kiss sounds. And it's like, pew, 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 And if it's you think so it's annoying weird. when we do it, imagine listening to that full blast on your, on your earbuds, because that's like literally what I do in the train every day. Because they do that. What they do, they have the little the little robot kissing sounds. I, you know what I'm talking Don't about. Don't turn it off. I want to hear more. I'm addicted to this song. It's crack cocaine. Oh, wait, you can hear it in my thing? Yes, and okay. I hope I can. Okay, so there's the little robot kissing sounds, and then when they bring the melody in, the little like pew pew sound, the little like jumping robot sound. It's funny as you can you can characterize all these sounds by robots doing different motions, little tasks, um, little little robot tasks. Like the, the jumping sound goes away, and then there's the melody, and then like halfway through they bring back the robot jumping sound, and it doesn't go away. No, and there like until it's... the song ends. But what's really <laughs> like, until the song is over, you have to listen to like the the robot evil whisper yes and like yes i don't know what it is there's but there's always an annoying element and like an evil element in every it's song. okay there's always like this is what everyone really is creepy. missing about ymo and every critical piece of writing which means noisy and pitchfork which means like every fart i've ever read about this basically it's like <laughs> yes. they don't understand that this music is like absolutely sinister and out to get you and poke you with the knife it's yeah. like yeah, it's dystopian. This, it's 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 pop music written in an evil dystopian alternate reality that no one wants to live in. Yes, it's, except for me because I want to be the leader yes, of it. Yes, the, the objection. Yeah, I, I want to be Pursuit in the, the sublime. Gu- like, I want to be in the Gundam, yeah. like about to impose solid state survivor reality on everyone, like for real, like yeah, especially yeah. with the the woo 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 robot noises and absolute ego dance. Because what happens is you hear those and you're like literally irritated when they come on it's like ouch yeah it's like oh what is that about and then (laughs) it comes into that melody and all of a sudden everything changes and you are like whisked into like the melancholic sublime it's incredible that's it yeah it's and then if that's not enough then they try to annoy you more by adding that bitch who goes like hi yeah Happy, happy. And you know what? <laughs> I, it, so good. I have listened to this song so many fucking times, like, processing it, like, trying to, like, swallow it into my spirit because I'm so, like, addicted to it, like, a drug. And it's, like, every time I hear that, I, like, can't even get embarrassed by it. Like, I can't be embarrassed. And, like, usually, like, joyful, like, positive expressions of emotions, like, humiliate me. This is, like, n- I think why this works is because it's, like, the semblance of joy. But what it is is, like, a very dark, sinister suggestion. Well, especially so. What that that track goes into writing. So, which is one of the most amazing musical calls to action of all time. Yes, like it's that and behind the mask. Or there are certain songs that, like, if you put them on when you start driving your car, it, it, you you feel like you're gonna go, like, assassinate somebody, or you're gonna you're going to war. You're like you're going to like there's. That's the thing about this album that a lot of the others don't is like there's this album. I think each song creates a 
a moment the best. Yeah. What do you think like, about, you know, we, the first the first self-titled album has, like, a really clear statement about it. It's, like, a parody of the East. But it, it gets a lot more complicated with this record. Like what? Well, I think that every single album becomes increasingly complicated right. for the first five, four or five. So, so what do you kind of take um, away, like, thematically from the, this body of work? I'm playing them all in my head. I don't. And I think that this is this is actually an album that I say purposefully has not resonated with me yet as much as some of the others. I literally um, knew that this would be the one that didn't because this is the one that does for me. I knew it would. It's very interesting how you I feel like I'm on the same wavelength as you all the time, but from different angles. Um, I behind the mask is like so I think what. Sakamoto wrote behind the mask for a Seiko Quartz watch. That's exactly and I wrote that in my notes. My little Oscar Langley Shiginami notebook. He wrote it for I have to find it again. I didn't save the link. It was really hard to find the commercial. Because I don't know if he's credited or not. But um I found the original commercial thing. Um Behind the Mask I'm trying to remember exactly what he said. You know, um I don't know if how much you've talked to Connor on um Twitter. He said something like he called Behind the Mask the most stressful song on the album, and it sounds like someone was going to be like... What, I don't remember what he said. It was like, you're you, you're listening to it, it's like someone's going to be executed in some kind of apocalypto world. I feel like, that. And that, I really like that interpretation, because there is a grandiosity to Behind the Mask that is not... Present almost by, anywhere else in their entire discography. It's It's... If 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 a country on Earth were to adopt a YMO song as their national anthem, it would be behind the behind the mask. Yeah, and I mean like um, the special thing about this is it has like that UFO kind of thing going on. Do you know what I mean? It's like the doo-doo, yes, doo-doo, yes. Doo-doo. We're gonna yep. keep singing for the audience, and they can listen to me yes. sing. I know it's it's totally fun. Um, no, but like, but yeah, there's the that UFO thing going on. There's the yeah, yes, I know what you're talking about. It's. It's it's one of the like it's I don't know if that sounds as I think the first album was more outright annoying and like cloying mm-hmm. and like saccharine more than this one. This one I think I I don't want to call the first one an an unserious endeavor, but you can tell that they're more engaged intellectually and artistically with this one than they were the first one. Right, absolutely. And because they're, like, I, they're, because they're the first annoying one was, uh, on every album they've ever done without fail. Like, they've been obnoxious in every single record. But with, like, this one, it, you know, when you yeah. kind of, like, get that, like, uh... Because, you know, if you listen to Behind the Mask, you don't, on the surface, like, get that, like, malaise. Like, you don't really get the distaste. It's, like, only when you spent, like, more time with it. Which is why Michael Jackson was wanted to cover it and yeah. then he did on his uh this is it you know re-release record or what garbage have you do you like that do you like that one i don't care about do michael like jackson his... at all oh okay that's a hot take that's no good. i it's not that i it's just it's, i've never tried the hits i've heard are good my mom was a huge michael jackson fan when i was growing up so it's part of like my the fabric of my yeah a bit. no like, i get I, that I would say for i'm sure. not into it yeah Every song that I've ever heard from him, I think, is pretty great, and I would love to understand him more, but I was raised in the opposite household where my mom was like, he was touching babies. So, 
I didn't get to hear. Yeah, my Michael. mom's in the my mom's in the he never did it camp thing. So that's cool. In any case, Michael um, Jackson, who uh, was proved to like be a consultant for Sonic music, like accurately kind of has his finger on that pulse because like he uh, wanted to cover behind the mask. But uh, what what I'm ultimately trying to say here is that it's like. It's pop music that seems like pop music until all of a sudden, like, you've listened to it enough times that it's definitely not. Yeah. Um, I will say, um, this album contains the two tracks that I don't care about. Oh, is it Day Tripper? One of, I'm not a Beatles fan. That's my hot uh-huh. take. You don't care about Michael Jackson. I'm not a Beatles fan. Um, Day Tripper, I really enjoy, they're doing this, like, dumb, I think it's the dumbest song on the album, intentionally. But then they do those horrible, jarring electronic car crash sounds that, like, stop the song for a second and, like, take the listener out of it. It's like they want you to understand that they're doing a ridiculous cover of a Beatles song and, by God, they're going to make you think about it by shoving these horrible, like, calamitous electronic sounds that totally interrupt the flow. And then the whole thing, like, devolves at the end. It's like you're not supposed to enjoy. Day Trippers is maybe their worst song ever. Yes, but I think it's supposed to, it's it, supposed it, it, to it be bad. It is supposed to be that way. And that's why even when I want to skip it, I won't. <laughs> because it's like, I, I know, know what they're you doing. Have to, it's like you can't, it's like, you know that they get a chill down their spine when you skip Day Tripper because it is a big, it's a beautiful piece of art, but like, it's not good. Well, I mean, it's spectacular <laughs> they did it because, you know, we were talking earlier about them like going on Soul Train and stuff and like, um, Beatles, you know, are American culture, ultimately. I, you know, yes. I know they're from the yeah. UK or whatever, but like they yeah. ingrained themselves yeah. in American culture, right? So like, it makes sense that like they would do Day Tripper on this record and, um, it's making fun of Americans directly. It's the first like direct jab mm-hmm. at like that's not backhanded. They're like, we're taking your stupid music that you like and we're gonna make it hideous. <laughs> yeah, like unbearable, and we're gonna register in the instruments that you will never be able to escape from because they're it going sounds, to linger it forever. Sounds like a, it's like a bad ambient trip. The vocals are like, like they're horrible. Um. I think that Takahashi has this way of like intentionally understating his vocals in a way that's borderline bad but extremely effective. And in Day Tripper, they're just bad. It's just bad. Yeah, because I mean, the special thing about Takahashi's voice is that he um, is not a, an English speaker, really. Like he can he can speak English, but like not so much. Oh. No, his pronunciation is pretty horrific, but it serves the music. I mean, yeah, it's like a the, par- the worse it's a pronunciation of... is, the better the music, honestly. And, and yes. yeah, and I, I just said this on the Godzilla episode. It's like the broader strokes that you paint with, the truer it is. So like when they're like yeah. doing like their impression of like Western pop music and like it makes sense that Takahashi is like really like going for it in that way. Um, yes, I am constantly turned on by him. I think he is one of the hottest men that has ever walked the earth, like, in his heyday. Okay, can we talk about it really quick? I really think that... So, Takahashi, like, knows he's kind of hot. Like, he... he. Have you have you listened to... What is his... Is it Sarava? Was his... Oh, his, his first album, yeah. His first album? It's just, like, it's, like, Japanese, like, very mainstream pop with a twist kind of thing. It's very traditional. Um, he's, like... It's beautiful, 
but then Sakamoto's beautiful, but like very obviously is totally uncomfortable being beautiful. Which is why he was he's, the heartthrob of the group. Cause like, um, he's so awkward. Yeah. Cause the, the, I wrote this down from the Guardian <laughs> interview. I, I, I'm literally pulling yeah, yeah. out my Oscar language Shikinami notebook to reference this, but, um, Sakamoto referenced in himself, referenced himself as, a. Uh, the theory member of the group and Takahashi yeah, said that's he's, what the I said. he's the popularizer guy. That's funny. and Hosono said that he's the ideas and um, Sakamoto being like the awkward like theory geek but also like very like physically striking uh, we'll, we'll, yes. you know we'll talk about it when we get to Onda Budokan but it's like it makes a lot of sense that he would be the heartthrob for Japan and like he is like very beautiful but I'm a gay man and simple male beauty yeah. really works for me and Takahashi is the one his little, just his little um, kiss of facial hair is very good. Just he's very, is he the short one too? I think he's pretty tiny. I think he might be the shortest of the three and the facial hair. Sakamoto's pretty tall, I think. Yeah. And then here comes, <sighs> here comes Takahashi with his beautiful facial hair and his collarbones and I'm dead and, on the ground. Oh, you know what? I'll, I'll have comments about this in a second, but um, I'm trying to think if I have anything else to say about solid states or we haven't talked about um, um, Technopolis, which is important to me. It's amazing. Tokyo. It's... Tokyo. It's like, Tokyo. 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 <laughs> I mean, this is, that one's obvious. It's like the... T-H-N-O-P-I. Did you know that Westerners say Tokyo as Tokyo? Crazy. But that song comes in as the That was literally how it was spelled on... I know. That's how... That's how it was spelled, T-O-K-I-O, for a very long time. It didn't go to a Y until relatively recently. Didn't know that? Yeah, it was spelled Tokyo for a long time. What, um, what I want to say about this album is that like, it really does like the uh, insurgent Viet Cong like, guerrilla warfare thing as pop music extremely beautifully and... Because it's very hectic. It's very organized, but like heated. It's busy. And fast and busy and in your face in a way that none of the others really are. Um, It's jarring, I think is what the word you used to I enjoy being jarring. Me too. Um, I love the, the other song I... <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're, we're jar fiends. Um, the other song I don't... I do not care for Castalia at all. That's so it's, funny. It's I think it's a. I also think it's like me. not an essential moment. But when I had uh, Solid State Survivor on on my record player at a house yeah. party I was hosting, um, yeah. one of the girls looked at me. and She said, "This group is. This is really good. This is really good." When Casale <laughs> was the on, song that made her do that. The thing I really, I really, it's because what I said earlier, <laughs> I think, is the truest of this song is this album creates like scenes in your head better it's like has like a it's very visual and that's why i'm so obsessed with it is because now i'm like walking around tokyo i'm like on my lunch break like smoking a cigarette like looking to like where i'm gonna eat today or like where i'm gonna go read my book Mm -hmm. or like i'm on the train or like i'm running in the rice fields and all of a sudden solid state survivor has like the soundtrack for me this is the gay people epidemic it's It's like prescribing music to your circumstance and then like lip-syncing it in your head Yes, this is this. I it's I almost want to call it a soundtrack because it sounds like one, but it's like a soundtrack for your life in a way. And I don't know if that was an, it's like a score for something. 
and Castalia is like the boring scene where the dialogue is more important and the music is just supposed to kind of sit in the back. And there's that speaking of annoying that like, yeah, it's too loud. Never stops it. Well, it's jarring. And the thing, so we've talked about St. Vincent, something St. Vincent says, um, or she has said many times that she hates symbols in music because they call too much attention. And this album or this song, if any, like totally proves that like symbols, if they're, but again, it's supposed to be annoying. It's not like an accident. There's nothing accidental about anything they did. And you know, what's funny about this is like on my BAP episode, I went like into extreme detail about how obnoxious it is when people try to like obfuscate if they're like being intentionally annoying or not. But YMO does they literally have never pretended that they're like not being grading again there's a there's a pattern of like making fun of the listener for enjoying their music in a way i mean like look at the cover if you look at the cover you know what they're up to if you actually look at the cover and you see those mannequins like you understand something (laughs) fake is happening here and you're supposed to be processing it in that way it's like Mm -hmm. maybe the reason i find bap so obnoxious is because like the you know, after he called me a tranny, you know, no offense taken. <laughs> thank you for perceiving me as a woman, I suppose. But, like, <laughs> thank you for perceiving my drag persona as a woman, I guess. But, like, he would never have the audacity to dare people with his fakeness. Do you know what I mean? Like, he would never yeah. be able to manifest his innate fakeness, which is prevalent and stinky on his account, you know, pre-deletion. <laughs> He could never do something artful with it and then intrigue and invite the listener with the provocation of being fake. Meanwhile, YMO is here making out with mannequins, blasting a cymbal in your ear and whistling at you (laughs) until, like, it should annoy you. But, like, they're too talented that you literally cannot be annoyed by this record. Yeah, it's they've conscripted an army of like deeply irritating robots to like yell at you, and you love it. <laughs> but the the melodies are so beautiful, like you don't care. It's almost like it's a dare to see the beauty in things. I don't know. I I really I I like the album a lot. I really like it's the not... idea of a dare to see the beauty in things because that's what I feel when I'm listening to them most of the time. Any album. So that's what it is. It's either they're they're walking the line of making fun of you for liking something dumb, but also like daring you to enjoy it because it's amazing and they knew it was amazing yeah. when they were doing well, it. Well, I think this is going to be they're like all the... personalities. Oh, go ahead, sorry. Huh? Well, they're all personalities that like Takahashi is kind of the whim- the whimsical one. Like he's a little bit he's kind of the dorky one. Yeah. So like I don't know if he he I don't think he takes himself very seriously, but like. Sakamoto and even to more of a degree Hosono, like they take their work like deadly seriously and to see them make like a joke out of something they would literally kill themselves like like Sakamoto given the right circumstances and time period would Mishima himself somewhere like in public and but the fact that they made this music that's like a joke on purpose is deeply intriguing to me and, like, it's a, you know, we're going to, I think this is going to be, like, the big struggle of the episode is, like, um, registering our emotions with it in full force. Because, like you said, like, <laughs> it's a joke that challenges you to take it seriously. And I do, very deeply. It's, like, I'm not listening to this every fucking day because I think it's funny. You know, it, like, it innately scratches some itch in me. And, like, should I be 
nervous about the fact that, like, I'm so tuned into, like, this, uh, you know, faux elevator music. Like, maybe. Like, maybe this is, like, pointing to something, like, bigger about our psychology. That's the beautiful thing is you'll never, it'll, you'll, the thing that happens with me, so I get, like, like, psychotically obsessed with music that I enjoy, and then I get to the bottom of it. And then I still appreciate it and enjoy it, but like I'm ready for the next thing, and mm-hmm. I don't know if that'll happen with them. I don't know if there's a bottom. If if that makes I haven't I don't know if there's it. like a. I don't know if you can stop digging. I mean, I've listened to <laughs> I think almost every album, including their live stuff and like bootlegs of it that, yeah. that, that aren't on streaming and stuff. Like, I'm not done, and like they're the spinoffs between Hasono and Sakamoto and. Tagashi are like so extensive that like there's so much well they all have like ex- like extensive solo careers also. and they're all good like they're all interesting like they all have like number one albums yeah for on, sure like solo albums like Phil Harmony by Hosono was a huge hit he even his stuff in the 60s is like or like the mid when he had the long hair in like the early 70s and the mid 70s that's like I know, like, Mac DeMarco is, like, a huge fan of, quote-unquote, Harry Hosono and, like, his early stuff. Like, they're all extremely successful. And I think that that's something about the band that's worth noting is that none of them were, like, ride or die with this project. No, no. Like, that's why they that's why they didn't take it too seriously and it didn't get too... That's why, or I guess it's, like, that's why it started and ended the way it did. That's why it's, like... Again, we can bring that up later. I don't want to, like make a thesis right now but like there's just this really cool like they're making really 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 incredible beautiful deep art and then when there wasn't art to be made it's like that's every album is like a masterpiece Mm -hmm. because they're not obsessed with their legacy like they don't care that's that's so funny well i mean it's the ultimate like pop girl you know problem it's like are you gonna end your career before it stales or are you going to like live in the glory and it's like i think that there's two ways of choosing to live out your glory which is the embarrassing share way of like you know ritually beating yourself in public with abba covers which is like really heinous to me (laughs) <laughs> or like the Madonna way of like em- embracing that like nobody takes you seriously anymore and then like going fucking insane with it and doing Madame X but um yeah, yeah. let's get on to the next project here uh which is is it Budokan or multiple how should we do this I don't I, I feel like we do not have enough multiples is multiples what was that you don't have a what no go ahead let's, we'll, we'll talk about multiples briefly because we have we are, I we are already at like an hour and a half. This is going to be a albums, fucking it's long good. night. It's yes. Just don't even look at the time anymore. Um, <laughs> multiples. I started drinking bloody Marys at 8 a.m. And you're going to stay up. So we're like in, we're, we're like the yin and yang of different abject experiences. Well, the like, good thing. Yeah. The good thing about the um, really? multiples <laughs> is that I did yes. include a bit of it in the interlude I made. So if we talk about it now, it still fits into the overall narrative. Okay. <laughs> but I do have so... to pee and smoke. <laughs> Yuki, Yuji, 
No, no, no. The, the sets, the sets like deteriorate around us. Like, no, I just think <laughs> like I, my I, roof I just, falls like, down. Broke this, like, well, I didn't break oh, it. Oh, that just, like, little thing. It. It's fine. My um, okay. you're like ready to kill yourself. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? The the gym fiasco was enough. My little client. I bought this um. I keep referencing the Climax posters that are in my room, but it's like a literally this uh, dollar. I bought this little frame for $2 and I put some Climax postcards I got from it and they fell and I felt very sad about it. So yes, I was ready to kill myself. That's that's the, I think that's why we understand each other is that for very similar reasons, we're like ready to commit suicide like three times a day. Okay, but you were talking about in their most recent episode about how you like felt homicidal, like encountering like minor inconveniences and i literally imagine yeah. like murder like every day yeah it's especially when i'm in like a there's i go into certain phases where i think i actually get funnier and more biting but i'm like ready to kill more this is the whole like psychoanalytic god words are difficult psycho psychoanalytical psychoanalysis of uh, my no, no no I wasn't correcting you I was just trying to speak clearly <laughs> of my Twitter it's the, it's like if I'm tweeting a lot it means like I either want to die or I want somebody to die and usually it's beautiful pretty men who go to the gym I want to kill them yeah I want you want I really yeah, I want Elliot Rogers like I, I I'm like First, ready to do that to frat row instead I think that there should be a horror movie starring you where. Anytime you're angry at a gym or something, you go through like this <laughs> transformation, but you turn into Mao every time. Oh, see how many times have people thought about me and been like, this person should be in a movie. There's a tweet from our friend John Diddy on the other day who was like, mm-hmm. why hasn't somebody recast the remake of Rosemary's Baby with Chi Chi as Rosemary? And I'm like, yeah, okay. Can somebody like with influence like do this so I don't have to work at a corporate job anymore? Yeah, same. I have a lot of star power. So, Let's manifest it. No, I agree. Because I want to be famous, right, okay? So, and YMO is helping me on that journey. Because whenever I doubt yes, myself, I this, listen to Ryan. This is going to go viral. They're going to give us a variety show um, scored with variations of YMO music. And we're going to have like people do embarrassing game shows and stuff. Fine by me. While we love. Yeah. Okay, so <clears> um, the EP. We, we whip yeah. people while they exercise. Um, so, multiples. X is it X infinity multiples is how it's spelled. Another obnoxiously challenging thing to describe an album. I think, I think it is the easiest. I think this is the one that is the most obvious to me in its mission. Yeah, it is 
pure parody. It is just funny. Absolutely. It's just like near the end of the albums, the track gets like, like end of Asia is quite a bit more interesting musically, but like nice age is literally just like new wave. It's just a new wave song in like a very funny, whimsical, flamboyant kind of way. It, it's, it's, I think this is the last album where Chris Mosdell was a... Um, this is the last one, the one who was, uh, was doing a, the translation slash writing of the English lyrics. Yeah, he was doing, like, lyrics and stuff. He was... And obviously working on melodies with them and stuff. That's the thing about YMO is I don't think that they credit who did what very well, because I really don't think they cared. Um, no, because they have a, a lot, lot of songs album. that are just, like, credited as, like, YMO. And it's like, you don't know who did what or, like, whatever, and, like, it doesn't matter. And you can kind of... You can hear each of the three guys and then the programmer Matsutake um, who's kind of the fourth ghost member of YMO um, you hear his influence and stuff especially if you listen to his solo work you can start to hear it um, but this Mosdell had like this flair for like I don't know if you want to call it like a it's like it almost has like a rocky horror picture show level of like humor in music and like Nice Age drips with like it's like deeply fake in like a beautiful way it's very like the the like it sound it sounds like takahashi and his vocals was like ripping off like uh dire straits or something this like the like it just it's really really flippant um i will say i really like the little opening 22nd wolfman jack parody um yeah, because we have, we have to talk by, about the comedy interludes here it's so good it's so good it's the best um, it's amazing it's it's ex- it's that's because i look at it's almost just like a comedy album with musical interludes like it's so coherent in the fact it's just a direct parody of american culture at that point it's di- it's a direct par- parody of the west where the original song the original two the first one especially and the second one not to the same degree, but still, we're like it was like Orientalism, and then multiples it almost like flips Orientalism on its head, and it's like, well, now we're gonna make fun of you guys, <laughs> and that like yellow magic orchestra, like that with like the little like the like radio chords, like dun 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 dun, dun and like that little twenty second thing before Nice Age is so funny. Like I was playing it, my mom laughed. She was like, "That's dumb." <laughs> It's it's literally a Wolfman Jack ripoff. No, it totally is. And, like, the album artwork is also a testament to this, where it's, like, the most, like, perhaps, like, outside of, like, Technodelic, it's, like, their most, like, clearest, like, clearly Maoist, like, piece of art, where it's, like, all of them, like, standing in a line in an infinite row of, like, yep. clay models of themselves. Yes. And that image, like, coupled with, like, the American, like, businessmen, like, negotiating, like, deals <laughs> and, like them like it's like uh, hyper pronouncing it the this is K uh, or whatever business and uh and or like them talking about the, money. the tiny japanese cocks he's like they're all they're they're pigs they're yellow monkeys tiny cocks and like do, do you do you understand mr rohia uh, uh, no uh, my english not no, very no, good no, no, speak little english <laughs> Like the my favorite one, I think. So my favorite two, com- it's almost like the comedy sketches are worth commenting more than the music on this. I one, agree. Which is I I really do enjoy it, but the music is like throwaway compared to the. I, but I don't. I think that was the point. No, because I, I mean think, it's I a cohesive project. It's just like, like you said, like yes. the, the music is kind of like interludes of the comedy bits, and it's like you know 
that would never happen again. You will never hear a Japanese comic like uh, making fun of like Japanese like dick size and like how like Americans perceive them. It's, that that joke will never happen again. It's so extremely self-aware of the way. It's almost like making fun of the way that Japanese people subjugate themselves to Americans. Yeah, it totally is, and it, that makes sense with the Maoist imagery on the cover. It's ex- it's so good. Like the that first sketch, he's like, "Do you, coffee or cream?" And the guy's like, he's like, eh, just black coffee, please." Like, and then he's like, "You have to pay money." And the guy's like, "Oh, that's not a problem. I'm rich man." And oh, but seriously, you have to pay money, like real money. And the guy's like, oh, I'm rich man. And he's like, okay, what's your name? <laughs> yeah. Like that thing. And like, it, it's so strange. Like, to, and of course, to the listener, just, just sounds schizophrenic and like totally not like unintelligible. But like, it's one of the stereotypical things that irritates East Asian people about shopping in American businesses is that Americans are obsessed with telling everybody what everything costs and how that's interpreted is that you don't think people can afford things. Mm-hmm. So Americans are obsessed with knowing price up front and then judging whether or not that price is worth something. Whereas in many of most other cultures, you just, describe the product you're selling and then people make the decision later when the price is like the last thing you talk about yeah absolutely it's like the comedy sketches on this record it's i I completely agree with you like they really are like the highlight and so it's like special about it and like the the coffee bit and stuff what's funny to imagine is that like you know for us like it's it's very clear but like it would i think it would be equally or even like more clear to like a, a japanese ear that's like not familiar with english because it's like they know like the words and they, they understand the context it's like oh like someone is like trying to order something or like like buying coffee or something and like the the joke is like much funnier there and yeah. um i think it, it's so brazen and perfect My... for, the, for the ymo project to like include like four yes. minute speeches about like all of these, like, extremely, like, what people would perceive to be now as, like, racist stereotypes, like, and then just, like, literally depict them in perfection. Um, my favorite of the comedy sketches is the Kokowa Kesach Janayo, is the, the, the police officer, because most, most listeners are not going to speak Japanese at all, um, the guy, the, the police officer, you hear his car roll up, and the car turns off, and he comes, and he knocks on the door, and he's like, open the door, I'm here to arrest you. And the guy's like, what? And the guy's like, this is the police, open the door. And the guy's like, what? This is the police, open the door, you're under arrest. Who are you? It's just like this weird, like, the 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 police officer, like, increasingly flipping out, outside the door, waiting for the guy he's going to arrest to open the door. It's And the guy's just like, what are you talking about? It's like making fun of a Japanese inability to take action at the time period. Yes. Like, it's incredible. The fact that this police officer is going to arrest a criminal and he won't just, he's like waiting for the criminal to open the door for him. Absolutely. No, it's totally incredible. I I, I really like this album for the, its comedy sketches, actually, which is something I, I can't say for some later projects, as we'll get to in about three hours from now. But yeah. 
like I I think the you know a lot of the the music from this record has like uh, kind of like sunk into their like live performances and is like pretty well known as like their general brand like uh what's the song called again I I, I, I misplaced my notebook not wait which one it's not called about? new age it's called new what nice age nice age that's it like that's nice a, one of their staples. I love the little girl voice in the back. She's like, nice age. Nice right age. age. <laughs> Ready to be killed by the thrill. And it's so, it's so funny. Um, well, I, and that's, I mean, it's a yeah. catchy song. I really, it's better in the live performances every time. Every time. Like, I completely better, agree. Every song they play, like the end of Asia is another one that they played in the thing we're going to discuss in a second. Like it's just way better. Like it's everything, like, Citizens of Science is better. Everything's better live because it's obvious that the music was not a focus. The music was, we're a band, we have to put music out. But I don't know if they just didn't want to do a serious out al- Because they are pumping out, like, two albums a year, which is, like, Yeah, because, crazy. I mean, like, you know, but, we started this podcast in, like, uh, episode of, like, 1978, and, like, we are, like, barely scratching 1980 now. And, like, in yes. that time frame, they did all of this, like, plus a re-release, plus tours, like... And this comedy album, you know, plus the music, it's, like, an absolutely, like, it's a really extreme undertaking that I can't imagine. Like, you have to also consider that um, Solid State Survivor was the top-selling album of 1980 in Japan. Literally the... It was, I think it was, it was Solid State Survivor and Multiples, I think, both occupied the number one and number two slots for, like, two months. Which is fascinating because, you know... as the, this record like accurately predicts, it's like America kind of like imagines like Japan to be like unaware of like their like subservience to America or like they're like not like politically like cognizant of you know the situation that has existed since like American occupation in this country. But it's like everybody knows, and like it's just who is willing to take the joke of it and like make the dare of it and. Honestly, like, since YMO, there's been, like, very few, like, comics or musicians or artists, like, generally who can do it in any way that's interesting whatsoever. And, like... Yeah, it, it really... I mean, this is... I mean... So when did Budokan happen? We can kind of start transitioning now. Yeah, um, 1980. How many... But do you remember when, exactly? So this album came out in, like, January, February, March, like, early. And I think Bud- Budokan happened in, like, December. Mm-hmm. Um... And at that point, they're incorporating, like, both very funny and, like, super elegant, like, YMO-branded fascist wear and, like, the hats and stuff. Because Budokan, they were all wearing, like, armbands and stuff. And, like, this is, like, a sincerely nationalist art project also. Mm -hmm. And, like, I think that, especially from an American perspective where, like, nationalism is such a dirty word that like you could only interpret it artistically as like being totally satirical. It's like, no, they kind of, there was some earnestness in their like defense of Japanese culture from occupation. Right. In a way. Well, I mean, to me, like Um, YMO is like the only like through line of Mishima, basically like no, Sono Shion is like anti-nationalist, so he can't possibly inherit the role, even though he has the same like artistic vigor, but YMO is like the only people who like completely understand like the national culture and, um, you know, I agree with any of the nationalism they have, and I still want to say this, like, they're, they're like, not even, like, 
that nationalistic because they're, they're constantly like making fun of like their yes. own country and like which is Asian ex- fantasies of you know political power. the The whole joke of Solid State Survivor is that the fucking Viet Cong and like these like Maoists yes. like doing a fucking pop record. It's like still a joke, it's, but like nonetheless, like they still see th- like the word is cynical. Yeah, they see a the tragedy in it. You know, it's an extremely cynical project. Absolutely. Um, I'm so yeah. Let's talk about Budokan. Obviously. Yeah? Yes. Okay. Oh my god, I love that video so much. This is a YouTube um, video that you can watch on YouTube. So here, I this also applies to the other film we'll be um, talking about later. It is so funny to me that an al- that a body of work so cutting edge and so popular is so badly preserved. Horribly. I mean, there are, like, DVD copies of uh, Propaganda, and I'm sure there are of Budokan as well. They just haven't been uploaded anywhere because Westerners, like, don't at care all. about YMO at all. How How is, like, borderline none of their body of, like, visual work subtitled anywhere? Why has no one done that? I mean... Not, like, I don't... It's insane that, like, it's like music from the future that didn't make it to the future. No, it's very... Absolutely true. It's like the time capsule that, like, wasn't seen or something. Like, I honestly feel like when Westerners, like, try to approach this, like, like we've talked about multiple times, they, they just, like, dismiss it as, like, jolly, happy music or whatever. Or, like, they just, like, go straight to BGM or something, or they, they only listen to Naughty Boys. Like, they don't understand, like, the entire, like, dense political concept behind this. And so people will only subtitle the stuff that seems, like, more accessible, which is why, like, a lot of the stuff from the Naughty Boys era is, like, really, like, more densely subtitled than everything else. Mm-hmm. Um, so Budokan. Budokan, yeah, sorry. There's the, there's the moment where they're, is it they fly into the airport and there's like, they're following them to the I think that probably my listeners like, don't know what Budokan is. So Budokan's a concert venue in Tokyo. The Beatles performed uh, there. Been, Day Tripper. Have you, um, the Beatles performed there. Uh, Cheap Trick has performed there. I believe Led Zeppelin has performed. Everyone has performed there. Every world touring band. I don't know if it's as popular a venue now. I have no clue. I have no concept. Not quite. I, Tokyo um, Dome is the venue now. You you do you do have to go see a. Have you seen a show at Budokan? I think you have to like. I absolutely so will. I, can, um, I haven't seen a show since to. COVID started, but like as soon as I can, I will. I, know. I would love to do it. Um, the only major venue I've been to is at Nagoya Dome, which is a uh, not that spectacular. Um. Yeah, you have to go. Um, there's this moment, I think, where they're in, like, a parking garage where they're all, like, standing up against the wall. Um, and Sakamoto has his sunglasses on, a maroon puffy jacket, a, a canvas bag and yellow pants on. And I am convinced he's one of the most stylish people to have ever lived. Oh, for sure. I- he is so well-dressed. I've never seen him look bad in my entire life. Like I have never seen a single he, picture of him where like I'm like, no. Like if you were if you were going to carve a statue of marble of any Japanese person, you'd have like Mishima and Sakamoto of like those two are like the perfect manifestation of Japanese aesthetics person. It's amazing. Yeah. Um And the entire Budokan um performance that they did in nineteen eighty is basically a manifestation of like 
that cultural like nationalist power that they had where it is merely them and their backup, which is uh, Akiko Yano, who uh, Sakamoto went on to fucking marry and like bear children and with. have a child. They have a they have a pop pop star child. I wouldn't say pop star. Um, I would say a musician. She was in the nineties. She's a she, she had pop albums. I'd call her a flop. Okay, she was. Yeah, uh, she's she's writing on the name, which is extremely common. Um, I mean, I don't blame um, her. I would too, but I mean, no, she I didn't make it tragically. No. Um. I love the little thing where I think is it it's before they start the show they do the thing where they all individually drive up in their own little cars and get out it's so cute well the the special thing about this one YouTube video that we're talking about in particular is that it has like these uh interstitial moments of uh, showing them like getting ready for the show and like going to the show yeah they included the whole DVD the whole video yeah it's like the whole thing um yeah there's like so what I think they open is it right and Lagos is what they open with, mm-hmm. which is a, which is a Sakamoto solo track. Um, that's quite obscure if you're not a Sakamoto fan. Um, it's a very weird album. Um, much less accessible than anything on YM ever put out. It's worth listening to, but it's I don't know if it like really sit well with a lot of people. But um, they open with that, and there's there are those little like the 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 makeup interlude is so funny. It's like or something like like just little like they're all like they all catch him in like pretty poses. Again, it's that thing where like Takahashi's just like super pretty. This isn't that little makeup scene. Okay, I have to He's ask you like, before we get any further. Yeah. Who is yeah. your boy in this boy band? Sakamoto. Yeah, of course. Yeah, he's just. It's, I'm, an, I'm, a, I'm a sucker for elegance and like. I've literally never heard anyone say Hosono ever. Well, he he's a little potato man, especially when he got old. Like he's just the dorky one. He's not attractive. Yeah. He oh, this is this is. I wanted to say this earlier. Hosono in live performances literally never looks like he's having a good time ever. No. Um, he just sits there with the same like droopy. He looks. He literally looks like droopy from Hanna Barbera cartoons. <laughs> like he just has this like. These big jowls. But Takahashi has so like, much star power. He's Oh, I know. He's, he's such so a big personality. Cute. And the fact that he's doing this like Phil Collins thing where he's singing and playing drums. It's incredible like, and shocking. It's it's literally and, shocking to see. And then and then Sakamoto's standing over there like he he just has the most serious look on his face and he's delivering a concerto in his head and his little solo things and he's like the way he's moving is just like He's like a dance, like a ballet dancer. Akiko Yano, I literally, her, I will never be satiated watching her. Like, I will never have enough of watching her bounce around and, like, dance. Yeah, no, she's amazing she's in like, this. And, like, um, her her I presence love- is, like, perfect for the group. And um, I, I, I don't know how much of her music you've heard, but, like, Tadaima is, like, a really, like, yeah. a, a record I've that... I've heard, like, like, three or four of her albums. Absolutely. It's, like, YMO is, like, very, like, heavily involved with that and, like... She's like a yep. good like extension from uh, this group as well. Like if you're interested in what they what they've done, and um, she is absolutely stunning and perfect and like such a beautiful female force in this group. It's like I love her. She's um, Susie Wong her solo song they played. Yeah, yeah, she is. Um, I I don't what, is it Kung Tong Boy or something. I don't remember what the yes. The, I the you know you got it. It's so cute. It's so. And it's like, it's weird because she does this, like, I don't want to say it's super Kate Bushy, 
but like the way that certain singers of the time period especially women would do like weird little girl voices almost in their music that can be kind of jarring but the melody is so good so right it's 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 one of my favorite it's because she is so enthusiastic and she's like the only person being like really really enthusiastic yeah, on stage because takahashi is Even always the doing the, he's like playing the drums he's like doing like the cool boy look she is the only person who's like i am alive on this stage right now which she's literally like running in place with her hands yes. on the thing and, and i mean like, it's, it's special it's because like the the kind of like you know quiet disillusioned affect is like very important for like you know presenting the band's music and like having the uh, only <laughs> she's up there having the only female artist and i mean like the the women's voices if we're gonna go there um i just um yeah. I, I read the pitchfork like early review of Donda or whatever like there's not a lot of female voices on here and then i was like listening to ymo and like all of like the female voices are like bimbos being like my name is tampu <laughs> 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 That's so good. let's dance like, it's like i mean and then she goes the f- for it all the way and one thing oh, we have to talk about is that they yeah, are yeah. all dressed in fascist uniform. They're all dressed like little yeah, Nazis. They literally have party arm. They have party armbands. They on. do. Which um, should I? Sp- I'll I'll hold this off for later. But anyway, they the the little Nazi outfit with the YMO label with the armband yeah. while they're doing these yeah. pop songs about like literally the end of Asia when they're doing like the Vietnam melt. It's like. Yeah, it's incredible to think that at the time this was like the most important band of the era in Japan. Like everyone knew who this was. This was playing on the city streets. It's like I would die to live in 1984 when YMO and Madonna self-titled was playing at the same time. And doing the something they did on the as the or two things I noticed on the end of Asia track, or as the first time I noticed it, is they have cameramen up in the like catwalks around the stage, and they're they'll like aim the camera over the catwalk but it's like sideways and not actually aimed at the stage and then they'll just be like slowly rotating the camera in like a totally indiscriminate direction and the the audience is really far back from the stage so it sound, it looks like they're playing into like a dark black abyss yes like there's no one there and it's almost like you're in you're floating through space and you just happen to like pass through this concert and you like catch a glimpse of what they're doing. It's very, it's very strange. No, I mean it's, the it's weird, perfect because like, it's like YMO is like this that space disc that has like Elvis burned onto it. It's like this is the image of Asia that like actually exists because like America won. They created Asia in their own image, and like what it is like is this spinning disc of fascists like doing like cute girl voices and singing about tone poo. Um, yeah, it's pretty great <laughs> yeah should, um, should we get on to I really the thing oh, go ahead sorry what was that get on to what um i was gonna say bgm but i would love to hear your thoughts um i have a few on this so there's the speaking of annoying i think it's really worth noting um worth noting that during this live concert they incorporate a sound they don't do anywhere else it's like hey it's like there's like they do this like hey hey it's like this weird beeping sound that they don't tune throughout any of the songs. It's amazing because you got it exactly right. That's precisely what it's it like, sounds like. Ha, ha. It's like a. It's it starts in the behind the mask. It. I don't remember exactly where they brought it in, um, but it's when they also start doing the weird. 
like the backlighting they did when behind the mask starts it looks like the same thing like it looks like they're coming out of a temple or something mm-hmm. and like matsutake the programmer is like trapped within these walls of synthesizers that are massive that is another thing worth noting is in 1980 to make sounds oh, like yeah that i wanted life, to bring the amount up too. of equipment they didn't have any fucking memory on their synthesizers yeah you had to play it all everything yeah and and it wasn't like Every single sound you wanted to make required a different analog synthesizer. So each synth playing mem- like Akiko Yano has like two or three. Hosono has like three or four. Sakamoto has like four. There's a giant drum set. There's a guitarist, and that's another thing is the um the juxtaposition of like eighties hair metal guitar over the synths. Is it Kenji Omura Kenji? I think is his name. Mm-hmm. Um, his solo track was by far my least favorite. I kind of hate it. I hate his vocals, but, um, um, just that juxtaposition of like seeing them do it live with like traditional live instruments, like guitar and stuff was like pretty, it's pretty good. Like it's pretty great. Oh, I mean, it's Um, fair to see because it's like, you know, we were talking about earlier when we were like listening to self-titled that it like, it sounds like impossible for any of that music to exist in 1978. And then to like, see it like realized physically two years later, it's like not only like, you know, thrilling on a pop culture level. It's it's a Howard Rorick like monument to like what it's, people can it's do. So, and that's another thing they pioneered or they helped pioneer. Our craft work was also doing it in Germany and stuff. But like, the idea that you could do a live music concert and people were just standing there. Well, like, I don't know was, about this. Like, a Japanese audiences love to stand or sit and do nothing. No, I mean the people performing. Like, oh, there's not oh a that. Lot of, That's true. I mean, like, for, like, popular music, it was, like, you, you come from, like, the 70s, which is just, like, raucous cock rock, like, Led Zeppelin, Rolling Stones and stuff. Like, there's an incredible amount of energy coming from the stage, but then when you watch this thing, it's like, Hosono's literally just standing there. Sakamoto has his, like, he dons his, like, piano recital cap in his demeanor, Takahashi is admittedly playing drums, and when you're playing drums and singing, you can't do a lot. Omuda keeps doing little guitar faces, which I thought was really cute. He kept doing Not the like guitar he, face. He, was, he 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 keeps doing guitar face, but I mean he's he's ripping it. But um, Matsutake is literally having to like unplug and plug things as the programmer. Yano's like going crazy because she's her hair's she has the braids in this one. It's on Soul Train where they teased her hair like a black woman, right. and she's like whipping it around. Um, but then did you notice like the guys coming, the like stage hands coming in during the middle of songs to like change stuff on the, on the equipment? Yeah, of course. I mean, it's very it's obvious incredible. And, and I mean, it's, there's no way to get around it. Like there's like it's so a much like, physical like, material that has to be dealt with like to make the sounds. And it's like when you listen to it on Spotify and like you see like the fucking Spotify image of solid state survivor that like you can't even tell their mannequins in, there's no way to process that like. All of this requires a physical, like, thing. And it's, like, they were one of the first people to use, like, the Roland, like, MC8 micro compressor. Like, all this, like, stuff. Yeah. Like, they, they were people yep. who... So, can we go to BGM real quick after you finish your thought? No, I mean, that's it. They were using first. this technology for, like, the first time. It's, like... So, speaking of first-time technology, BGM is the first album to use the Roland TR-808. Yes, so and for music, music equipment nerd, BGM, let's talk about music. it. Sorry, that was me background leaving room music. to... This is... This is... 
レビインタビューですということを言ってそのインタビューが始まったわけなんですけどアルバム。うん、and again I said I'm a fan of like grunge and stuff, like music about like overdosing on heroin and things, which is not anything I have any kind of even like secondhand personal experience in, so it's not like the mean to the same degree like whatever, but something about that kind of like what you said earlier like obj
music plans in English. Yeah. Um, the second track is one of my favorites. Um, Mine as well. Making music, what's the plan? Breaking music, like they're. It's almost like this. It, it it's like the first two and a half, three albums, because the multiples is technically an album, but it is kind of like an EP vibe because of the comedy stuff. Um, it's that is a commentary on kind of cultural absurdity and like perversion. And then it's like they pivoted it 180 degrees to like, it's like you're looking out at the culture in the first albums and then the mirror flips around and now you're looking at yourself and you have to like consider what it, how you're operating in the context of like cultural absurdity. Yeah. I mean, I I really can't under state how crucial the album cover is to all of this because like everything you said is precisely true like you know the first two plus multiples album are like these macro political images but then this album is like the mirror like you said like it it inverts it backwards and so a lot of the awkward like emotional humility of it it all comes like Mm -hmm. from an extreme place of like privacy and like quiet and um, sort of emotions you would never get from, you know, we were talking about Castalia or like Castalio, I don't know how you say it, yeah. from uh, Solid State Survivor. Castalia. And, you know, that is like the quiet song of that record. That would never apply in, on, on this album where it's like the darkest and most upsetting it's ever been. And the album artwork, the toothbrush underneath the water sink is so important to this because like the mirror is like after you finish like brushing the fucking garbage out of your mouth the processed foods and like spitting it out like what i see is like you're brushing your teeth at the end of a night of like heavy drinking yeah it's a weird no i mean that's the same thing it's it's like like a hangover album it's a i don't know like this has some of the most unsettling ymo tracks ever released if not the like like La Fugencio is like was it rap phenomenon in English or That's something? That's it, yeah, it's you like, got it. Go Queen Go. Really, really dissonant. No, it's really dissonant. And it's like r- jarring and weird and like it doesn't even it's just like a weird chant and then those weird little like flute lines. Okay, but like you know, like, like think about like how self titled and solid state survivor open. Like um, yeah. you know, self-titled is the computer bits and then it goes like right into like one of the firecracker, right? It's like one of the biggest yeah. songs yeah. I've ever had, like big pop moment. And then Solid State Survivor is Technopolis with the Tokyo bit and has like one of the most like invigorating, invigorating, you know, <sighs> melodies that have ever existed. And then like here you open with ballet and it's like a single tragic image of a ballet dancer, like, getting silent applause, like, existing for no one, like, trying to, like, prove that they're real. And I think that one of the, the big, important, like, influences here is, like, the the Peter Barakon lyrics, um, because he was brought yes. on from this record. They switched, they switched lyric records. Yeah. And, he was their lyric And it was much different, because record. now they were doing a lot more translation work, and instead of, like, doing, like, more just, like, literal writing. So this seems to be, like, a almost, like, a pure, like, emotional statement from them in comparison to, like, what they had done earlier. So this is, speaking of an emotional statement, it's almost like they made a one-off album as a parody. It's like an experiment to release. And 
as like a political commentary and then they're they blew up and then solid state survivor is they're continuing their public legacy well um, i mean it's like it's blowing the up even more version of the first record basically yes it's it's the same ethos continued into the second the second phase and then multiple is just straight up parody that's a number one album also hilariously the fact that that could ever be a number one album anywhere is amazing yeah and then they do a world tour that ends with Budokan, which is one of the like greatest visual spectacles of the decade. And then they c- totally collapse into themselves because now they're making music that's for them. Well, I mean, this is like the ultimate human statement is like making like this like commentary, like addressing like the larger nature of things is ultimately victim to the personal narrative. And every single song in this is like, you know, I, I'm sure they were writing, like, vaguely, but nonetheless, like, the tone and resonance of it is something that, like, sits with you in a way that's, like, much more personal than anything they've ever done. And and a special feature of that is the blatant recycling and repurposing of music that has already yeah. existed before, which is something they do a lot more from now, and, and they have done in the past as well, but, like, with uh, Thousand Knives, which is on Sakamoto Ryuji's album, I think it's first, this reappears It here. was, and it's the self-titled album. It's the first track. Right. One of the greatest tracks of music I've ever heard. Oh, totally. And when it comes, when it comes up here, it is distressing. It's not, especially if you already know it previously, it's not... It's sped up. The sounds are distorted. Yes. The fact that it's the melody... Deeper. The fact that the melody is played on that weird... It sounds like a robot rapping. Like, beep, 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 like the weird... Like, it's like the same thing inverted. It's it's like an invert... It's sped up, which is distressing also. Um, I quite adore this version of the song. Me too. I don't think I've heard a version of it I don't like. Um, I will say... I believe this is the one album where Sakamoto was hardly present during production. Yeah, because, because know, him so and Hosono's conflict so was like reaching a total mm-hmm. fever pitch, and they could like they could barely stand to be in the same room together. And uh, basically, and like Sakamoto's had pr- had like uh, contributions are like limited to the first uh, side of the record, and then after that, he's basically absent. Like what he wrote, Ongak no Keikaku. He wrote obviously Thousand Knives. He did write. Kitarubekimono, which I think is Loom. The last song on the English, record. Which is actually my favorite track on the record. Me too. Um, the fact, so they do that like THX rising note sound for like a minute and a half with that like water dripping sound. It's very distressing. I have tried to emulate that exact effect on my podcast like 50 times. If anyone goes back and listens to uh, my Women, Ladies, and Girls episode with Lindsay, that's what I was trying to do the whole episode. Was that loom sound? Uh, or the water? The, the water plus the encroaching loud noise. Because it's that, it's a huge crescendo to a peak that ends on a beaut- It's like a dissonant crescendo of ascending tone, and then it ends on this beautiful chord that it comes together and then stops. And then for the second half, he's just playing like a chord progression over this dripping that gets quieter and quieter. And it's, 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 it's a like quintessential Sakamoto track. Like he did that. No one else was involved. Um, Well, I mean, what makes it special to me is that like we have, you know, 
we've talked about this a few times before, but it's like the way that YMO is so impressive and works so well is that there are three distinct personalities all equally contributing. And yes, Sakamoto, despite not having like engaged so much with this record, was able to like kind of like see the direction of it and manifest oh, that yes. into this like extremely upsetting moment that is like so personal and human to have to listen to Loom. You know, it, you know, this is kind of like a precursor to like my bloody Valentine in my mind, which also you know has like oh, the, like the song Loom. It's like you know, yeah, these songs yeah. about looming, if that's what they're about, you know, pretends to the title. It's like the same vein and so if you i'm looking at the track list and it's like you have ballet body which is weird upsetting it's it is a pop it's one of the most poppy songs on the record which is hilarious because it's so grim it's hilarious because it's so dissonant and grim. yeah um and then ongak no keikaku is like really weird lapugensho is like creepy the rap rap everybody rap it's like cultish chanting happy end is like weird and strange and like that's another total sakamoto like experimental thing thousand knives a repurposing of thousand knives q which is one of their most popular songs ever recorded it's it's a really really good pop song it's really cute it's really nice it's almost like a respite and then you go to ut which is another weird jarring thing camouflage is weird mass is weird but then the way that Sakamoto synthesizes the whole experience of the album is this rising unsettling crescendo and then dissonant chords will like, like increasingly tense. And then at the end, he just ends it with one like resolving major chord. And the fact that it's just a resolved, like content and happy major chord at the end like totally puts you to rest having listened to it and it's like it's really good all of this with the fucking toothbrush i you know <laughs> this is i think especially for music and you know maybe not so much for literature or like film or whatever but like the the image you choose to permanently associate with your record i think is, is quite important and the toothbrush if you consider that with loom at the end of this album it oh yeah it's so striking because how many times have you been in your house like about to brush your teeth or like not about to brush your teeth you're like either drunk or not drunk like you are in your home space and like doing domesticity and then you feel the sensation that loom inspires and all of a sudden like the general monotony of having to live and the horror of it overcomes you and you have no idea what you're supposed to do because i go through this every fucking day and this is why YMO is, like, so moving to me, is because this shit sinks in with my daily philosophy. Because I have to brush my teeth and go to work. Like, I can't just, like, be, a, like, a cute little faggot cross-dresser artist or whatever. I have to, like, you know, live or whatever. I have to, like, go to work. And I have to brush my teeth at the end of the day. And then you hear Loom, and it makes sense, and I'm at peace with it. Because there is art and yeah, because it's, sense it's, of it, like Loom. It's an increasing tension and then the peace that you make with it at the end because you have to. And isn't that incredible that they like they go yes. from like reconciling with what's easy, you know, what's easy for everybody, which is massive politics, because anyone can talk about politics, but most people yeah. are incapable of talking about the politics of themselves. Like I do not really think people are equipped to 
do discourse on the toothbrush. Like, they don't understand, like, what it really means to have to, like, look at yourself in the mirror that day. And lots of art tries to emulate that feeling. None of it succeeds. Film especially fails at doing this because I've seen the same shot. It's, like, three quarters up above their head looking at the mirror. It's Ryan Gosling in, like, pink fluorescent lighting. Like, it never, oh, none of it yeah. works. This is the only thing that works. And it, because Lou yes, is not about brushing YMO your teeth. It. But with, with the comparison of the image, you get it. Well, yeah, it's a, it's an elevation and, like, a condemnation of the mundane, kind of. Well, that um, not that the essence of the sublime? Yeah. Yeah. 